In French, the word etude translates to study. Welcome to etude. I think this is one of the most peaceful, beautiful wineries in the Los Caneros region of Napa Valley. My name is Robert, and I have been at Etude Winery for now seven years here in Napa Valley. And welcome to episode two of Sip On This, the podcast that will give you an insider's view to all that Napa Valley has to offer. My name is Roger Chung, and I'd like to introduce my wonderful and brilliant co-host, Janae Gaither. Hey, Janae. Hey, Roger. Today, we are coming from Etude Winery in the lovely region of Napa Valley in the Carneros region, which is approximately 50 miles north of San Francisco. Are you excited to be here? I am so excited to be here, and we have three great guests joining us today. My first guest is Robert. He introduced us to Etude at the very top of the show. Robert, as he said, is the hospitality specialist here. I'm also joined by Charlie, a hospitality specialist at yes. Etude. And of course, we have Ed Lee, and I'll introduce Ed in a second. But Robert uh, and Charlie, why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us what you guys do here at Etude? Uh, well, we do, both of us do a little bit of everything here. Um, we both work in the tasting room, um, and we're behind the scenes. We'll do some shipping and some ordering and all, too. So we're a little front of the house and back of the house. In some ways, I've actually been Robert's protege, and I've been learning a lot of what he does, but uh, I'm also, you know, we're both wine educators here, and we talk to people about wine. That sounds great. And our last guest is Ed Lee, who we consider to be a wine industry insider. He is the current hospitality sales manager for Treasury Wine Estates, one of the largest wine companies in Napa Valley. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ed. It's wonderful to see you again. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for Treasury as hospitality sales manager? It's a pleasure of mine um, to be part of this program as well. I'm very passionate about wines. Uh, I've been a student at Davis uh, that led me to the Napa Valley to do my couple first harvest and because I speak uh, Chinese as well that's where I grew up in Taiwan I wanted to bridge the gap um, knowing that there's so many more people coming from internationally to Napa Valley uh, Chinese consumers uh, are curious about wines I want to be there to translate to study the nuance of wine the etude of wine and share that with the guests uh, especially in the uh, Mandarin language uh, so I've been doing that for Etude and several other wineries under the Treasury Wine Estate Company. What are the other um, labels under the Treasury Wine Estate? So some of the leading uh, labels and brands that people might recognize are Behringer, Sterling, Beaulieu Vineyards, which is BV for short, Stagsy Winery, Etude, of course, and then there is also Provenance as well. And Ed, I hear that you are a certified sommelier or a level three sommelier, is that right? So yes, uh, certified sommelier through the Court of Master. Uh, so it's a standard American chapter uh, who certify people to be professional sommeliers working in a restaurant floor, talking about wine service, and uh, the WCT Level 3, uh, which stands for the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. Uh, it's a program based out of the UK who focus on the education portion, uh, less on service. Uh, so you must be good at identifying varietals and vintages? That's part of the test that we had to go through. It's, there's a rigorous program to understand the wines that we're serving to guests if it's showcasing the proper typicity. So I thought it would be fun for us to play a short game with you towards the end of this episode. Are you up for it? 
I'm all about game, especially when there's wine involved. <laughs> awesome. I was so excited to come to Etude because they're known for doing both Pinot Noirs and Cabernets equally well. Etude is like on a little hidden road. It's not, you can't see it on any major road. You gotta turn off onto a side road and then you come onto this beautiful, well manicured property and it's modern, it's clean, it's bright. I was thinking this is like a perfect Saturday or Sunday afternoon spent if you're like in your 20s or 30s or 40s. It's just fun and vibrant here. It's got a beautiful sunny patio. And what's really cool about this place is that it is literally set among, amongst the vines. You see nothing but vineyards of the Carneros region surrounding you, so about a 360 degree, degree panoramic view of nothing but vineyards. And um, that is so wonderfully calming and, and relaxing, and it's a wonderful place to just come with friends, as you say. It feels very intimate, it feels very secluded, um, but not so secluded that it feels alienating, which is what I love about this property the most. To kind of sit here and just chillax. That's the perfect word, chillax. <laughs> but Robert and Charlie, you guys went above and beyond uh, for us in this, for this podcast episode. We are sitting at a beautiful wood table, elegantly decorated with glasses um, and bottles of wine in your production facility. Can you tell us where we're literally sitting? It's, it's dimly lit, but it's just so beautiful and elegant here. And we're sitting on a top level balcony overlooking all these steel containers. Tell us what, what room we're in. So you're in the Angel's Law, and it is overlooking the production of the winery where all our wine is produced. Um, we actually do have a lot of the barrels being stored around here, getting ready. Um, we are just talking earlier about 10 days away from harvest, and so the winery is getting up and ready. A lot of work's been going on with our interns, getting everything set. Um, a lot of barrels have been being cleaned, fermentation tanks have been being cleaned. Uh, I think the nice thing is that you are in a winery. And this is where we do the cab focus also. Um, when we do the study of Pinot, which is the one I'm gonna go over, we are down in our heirloom room, which is a private room right off the tasting room. So Robert, tell us a little bit more about Etude and Etude's winemaker. Um, well, we go back to 1982 as our first year. Um, at that point, Tony Soder was our winemaker, um, a well-known winemaker in Napa Valley. Uh, definitely was well-known for Cabernets. He's the one who decided that he wanted to make a wonderful Pinot, and he felt Etude would be a perfect name for the winery, and Caneros is an ideal location to start. So Tony's emphasis was on the Caneros region, um, our vineyards are over in the Grace Benoit Ranch, uh, a little over 1,200 acres with a little over 500 of those acres planted in different vines. So over there we are growing our Chardonnay, our Pinot Gris, um, we actually are growing some Pinot grapes for our Rosé, and then we have a selection of uh, Pinots over there also. Uh, John Priest is our current winemaker. He has been now with us for almost 14 years. Uh, his emphasis, just like Tony's, is on Pinots. He really um, has this passion for making wonderful Pinots. He wanted to expand on what Tony had done a wonderful job on, um, has kept the Canaris region going, but has added many new areas, and that's what we're gonna go over today is the study of Pinot. He really feels that there are so many wonderful areas 
within the world that you can grow wonderful Pinots. Uh, here in France, we're referring to Burgundies and all, but coming here, we are calling it by the varietal name, and that would be the Pinot Noir. So with us, uh, John has moved uh, to vineyards up in Oregon, where Tony Soder has actually got a vineyard now going up there and a winery. Um, he's also moved out to the Sonoma Coast. We've got two vineyards out there, um, both the Pinot Hill and the Ellenbach. Um, we're down in Santa Barbara with North Canyon, Fiddlesticks, Forte, and then uh, one of his great adventures is down to New Zealand with our Bannockburn. So he's really got us all over the map now with Pinots. Etude has had some award-winning wines. The 1999 Etude Eden Rock Vineyard Cabernet received 98 points. The 95 Cabernet earned 96 points in a, in a 10-year retrospective wine spectator tasting. And then uh, most recently, your 2010, 2010 Etude Heirloom Pinot Noir received 93 plus points. So you guys do wine pretty well here. Oh, excellent. Uh, John is consistent. Um, we, he's actually made a comment about points. Um, John has said that he makes wine to be good. He doesn't make wine for points. So on all of our tasting menus, you will not see points. Etude has three more tailored tastings, a collector's tasting, a Cabernet focus, and something that Etude calls the study of Pinot Noir. So today we're doing both a Pinot-focused tasting, the study right. of Pinot, as well as the Cabernet-focused, correct? Right. Awesome. So what we're doing is kind of an abridged version of both, so you can at least see some different flavor components and all that come from the different areas. Um, typically, we would be doing, like I was saying, with the Pinot, study of Pinot tasting. We're gonna do about five different Pinots that we'll taste. I like to always focus in on letting them know about tasting wine, um, that initially you should look at a color and look at the clarity of a wine to make sure that it is very clean looking. Aromas are going to be the first note that you're going to be able to understand something about a wine. When you smell a wine, you're already anticipating certain flavors to hit your palate because that the, the aroma is going to give you so much flavor already. Um, and then just tasting the wines. I try not to get them to be coming back with me, telling me what they're tasting, but just to give me a feel of what they think of the wines and all too. So I see before we dive into the Pinot study, there's actually a glass of white wine in front of us. Charlie, you want to tell us what you poured us? Yeah, I poured you a little bit of uh, some of our Pinot Gris, actually, which is uh, a wine that actually comes from our own estate, the Grace Benoit Ranch uh, as well, and uh, some grapes that we farm ourselves. But Pinot Gris is one of the uh, you know original aromatic whites from France, actually from a region uh, uh, in France called Alsace. And, and the style that we make it, which is in a similar style to the way they do it there, it's uh, fermented in stainless steel, and it's a very light, crisp, uh, refreshing wine. And it's a wine that we actually often start uh, with with our guests, um, just because it is a nice way to start and kind of gets your palate going and the conversation started. Just sniffing this gets my palate going. How would you describe this color? There's definitely a little more of a light straw uh, color going on. Basically, imagine going out to the field uh, in California right now. The coast, there's more of a golden grass, kind of that color. You already took a sip. What's your first impressions? I get a lot of stone fruits from this wine. Um, so I get some stone fruits are things that are in the apricot, peach, nectarine family. So I get some white peaches here. I get some apricot a little bit. Um, I also get a little bit of minerality, a little bit of uh, kind of that saline characteristic, so some salinity, so a little bit of saltiness, um, which adds for some interesting complexity. 
But man, this is fresh, crisp, vibrant. It's dynamic. Yes, uh, think about Alsace. Uh, a lot of people don't know, even though it's a French country, but they take a lot of inspiration from their German roots as well. And think about German food or places that's cooler. These wines can stand up to kind of nice, heavy, hearty meals with a lot of cabbage or braised sausage of sorts. So there is a freshness that cuts through the heaviness. There is a natural weight of itself. Uh, looking past just the aromatic, there's a nice palate coating quality that I really enjoy. And sometimes we do when we make these wines, it's about having a little bit more weight uh, and it's kind of more delicate balance of uh, winemaking process, uh, giving that density that would pair easily with just the chicken you talked about earlier too. About what temperature should you be chilling wine? I mean, I would say most people enjoy their wine typically around a normal refrigerator temperature, somewhere around 42 degrees. But something to keep in mind is as you actually let uh, a warm warm up and this uh, wine that we're drinking, in fact, might be a couple of degrees above uh, refrigerator temperature, that allows the aromatics of the wine to open up quite a bit so you can get a little bit more. The colder the wine is, the more closed it'll be. Mm -hmm. So I would say, I always say the rule of thumb is 45, 55, 65. Um, 45 storage temp for sparklers, 55 for white, 65 for red. However, I would say that you can store wine, all wine, um, at about 50 to 55 degrees, and then whites and sparkling just chill down um, when you're ready to serve it. Um, so this would be perfect at like 45 to 50 degrees, I think, and tastes lovely. And you'll get all the aromatics and flavors just coming to the fore. Thank you for that. That was delicious. Robert, you want to lead us on this Pinot study? All right. Today we're going to do two of the Pinots and just talk about some of the differences of those Pinots. But typically with the study of Pinot, we are going to start off with our Caneros Pinot that we're well known for, that we distribute throughout. This is the one that a lot of people know about, that actually this is the reason they're coming to our winery. The nice thing is um, then we also have the single vineyards here in Caneros also. We have uh, the heirloom that we're going to do a little later after we've done the Ellenbach. Um, and then uh, we have one up in Oregon, the Yamhella, uh, and that's in Willamette Valley. Um, we have Sonoma Coast. That's the one we're going to start with, the Ellenbach. Um, and then also we do one from our Santa Rita Hills down in Santa Barbara, which is the Forte. So this gives a the guests an opportunity to see five different flavors that are coming out of the different Pinots that John makes for us. Um, so we'll start with the heirloom. This is Sonoma Coast, real bright, lively fruit I find with the Ellenbach. Um, so I'll let you all take a taste of that and see what you all think. I smell cherry, definitely. I do smell um, some Bing cherry, but it's weird because when I took my nose away, I almost got this kind of, and I don't know how to say this without sounding a little bit derogatory, but it's not a pejorative thing at all. I get a little bit of artificial maraschino cherry as well, um, just on like a hint of it right on the back end, which is not a pejorative thing at all. It actually smells really, really good. Um, but that's kind of my initial thought. Um, and then upon tasting the wine, it's just really, really earthy to me. It doesn't have those kind of big, bold fruits, and that's probably because it's Pinot and we're in a cooler climate, and so those fruit flavors are kept at bay. Um, so you get more like mushrooms and earthiness. Um, and 
Weirdly enough, I also got a little bit of lemon zest, which I don't really get with red wine. It's mostly something I get with white wine, but I got a little bit of kind of citrusy lemon zest. So it's a really interesting and complex wine in my opinion. Ed, what do you get out of this wine? So I have to be the first to say that Allenbach is one of my personal favorite wines. It's got a beautiful, elegant acidity. There's some wonderful floral notes to it. Uh, and again, I think jumping off of uh, Janine's kind of maraschino cherry, I found a lot of cola quality. It's, I mean, I don't, I, uh, I prefer wine over uh, Coca-Cola nowadays, but for me, I still love that Dr. Pepper Coca-Cola-like quality when I smell in a wine that has, considers three years old of age. There's so much freshness in this wine still that's vibrant, it's juicy, it makes your mouth water. The moment you dig your nose into the wine, when you taste the wine, there's a little bit of touch of oak, that vanilla, that baking spice to kind of wrap everything together. Combined with just a subtle hint of earthiness for me, um, there is that beautiful mouth-watering juiciness and just a little touch of tannin, knowing that these wines could easily put aside for five years and then the wines will actually develop and transform uh, to a next stage. Dang, Ed, I want to go wine tasting with you every time if you're going to keep describing awesome. wine like that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> Ed was saying something about vanilla. When you start talking about the oak, the oak is going to impart some flavor into any red wine. Um, that is a real key component. Um, with John, he's trying to balance between both our new oak and our vintage oak, and then vintage oak would be barrels that have been used before. So you're not overpowering it with a lot of oak flavors, but you're giving it enough accent that it's a wonderful balance to it. And that's what makes a Pinot very nice. If you overpower a Pinot, you're not going to get that wonderful flavors out of it in all too. There's no dominant characteristic of it, but it's an elegant wine that you want to savor and sip all the time. I, I would take a case of this home. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. It really is. Two for two. Yeah. So now we're going to compare, um, we're going to go to um, another Pinot, and this is going to be our heirloom. Um, this is coming from right here in the Canaris region and all. Um, it is up on the top of the vineyards. Uh, it is at about a little under a 500 foot elevation. It's got some real dry, rocky soil. Um, and heirloom, it is cuttings from a lot of old vines and all too. So you're gonna get some real interesting layers with this wine. Um, this will really showcase what John can do wonderfully. Um, especially with this wine, you can cellar. You can put this down, you can age it. It is gonna hold up for easily 10 to 15 years without a problem. Um, I've had some of our older ones that are just fabulous. Excuse me, some of our vintage ones. <laughs> Thank you. I mentioned that I love Pinot with sushi and I mentioned that I love it with salmon. So it's wonderful that someone else thinks exactly the way I do <laughs> right. because it's, it's, it's heavy enough to kind of stand up to that kind of meatiness, but it's not, it's still very delicate that you can pair it with something like right. a fish, right. which exactly. is wonderful. When it comes to wine, especially red wine and food, I break all rules. You know, the old- Good to break rules. The old <laughs> tradition of white wine with fish. I've never bought into that. I think any good wine goes with any good meal. And here at A2, we take study fairly seriously, but find the same time. We're here to invite you to the world of Pinot and telling you how Pinot actually is something that's very profound and something that could really pair with anything that you think. It certainly go with beef, uh, the famous Burgundy beef. Uh, it's 
beef that's been braised for a long time that's not as heavy, as powerful as a steak. It's nice and round and you, you throw in some seasoned mushrooms mm. uh, that's been foraged from the wild and stew that together. You get that earthiness that complements the pinot really well. And give us on these pinot a, a couple more eight, uh, years. I mean, even just three years, sometimes it is transformative having those secondary and tertiary flavor really coming out. And then as we lead to the heirloom uh, Pinot Noir, that's the one that Robert mentioned that it could certainly age and benefit for an additional tertiary character development. Heirloom's got real dry, rocky soil to it and all. Um, so I love it. You're smelling. I can just see you've already figured out a lot of things with this. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I Absolutely. just want I, I don't even want to take my nose out of the glass. I just love the rock soil sediment aroma coming out of this. I don't even, first impression, I don't get any fruit out of this. I'm just smelling straight earth, which I love. A lot of people, when they say earth is, I kind of equate it to when you're in a forest and you're walking through a forest, all those smells that you pick up in a forest, a lot of times you'll pick up those in a pinot. They're definitely there. Absolutely. The color of this is just, I would say, light to medium. I see, Ed, you're rolling your glass. You literally have it on a sheet of paper on the table, rolling it back and forth towards you and away from you. What are you seeing? So it's a way, as you tilt your glass to the side, to see how transparent the wine is. And then I'm looking at this brochure right here. I can still barely read through the wines. Yeah. But there is a nice color, there's saturation, but there's a beautiful clarity to it. I'm getting a little bit more dark berries, a little bit more acid in this. Is that right? Absolutely. This one has a lot more depth to it, a lot more layers to it that are just kind of unique as you taste it, as it sits in your mouth. You're picking up different flavors and all. Um, much more, a little more complexity to this than the Ellenbach. Um, that's what it is, makes this wine unique. It, it's just, it's got some wonderful flavors to it. I, again, I get that forest feel to it. Mm -hmm. The wine takes me to the vineyard and spending a day there. Uh, the walk in the vineyard, the vineyard, the soil is fairly dry at this point right now, perfect for the grapes. As you come home, there is a little bit of dustiness that you feel, the, the smell of your shirt. There is a bit of that chalky dustiness that you feel in this wine, which is, to me, the, the terroir it really gets uh, transported from the grapes to your glass right here. Absolutely. When we started today's wine tasting, in front of us was beautifully placed four wine glasses. The first two Pinots we've drank out, a, out of a glass that has a bottom that is bolder and bigger and wider than the other wine glasses. What are these different wine glasses? And why are we sampling a Pinot out of this glass versus a more narrow glass? Great question, Roger. As you go out to the marketplace, uh, you're looking at different wine glasses. The shape of the Pinot Noir glass, and notice that the script that we used earlier, there's kind of floral, cola, kind of delicate notes. And the shape of the Pinot Noir glass means more bulbous in shape. Uh, it's allowing to concentrate that nuance, allowing to detect more the nuance of terroir that Pinot Noir is known for. While the Bordeaux-shaped glass, it's a little bit narrower, a little more classical shape, the one that you encounter mostly in your uh, the local restaurants. Um, that's allowing the wine not to be so concentrated, Cabernet being higher in alcohol mostly and much concentrated in flavor. Sometimes it could be a little overwhelming in the nose if you put it in the Pinot Noir glass, actually. 
And to go a little step further, uh, kind of off on a tangent, but a little step further, um, when you guys go to the store and you see two different shaped bottles, um, one's actually a burgundy bottle, the one with the hips, and then one's actually a Bordeaux bottle, which is the one with the shoulders. And, you know, Syrah oftentimes comes in, or mostly comes in, a burgundy-style bottle. Um, Chardonnay also comes in a burgundy-style bottle. Uh, things like Cabernet, Sauvignon Blanc, those come in Bordeaux-shaped bottles. Why there are two different kinds of bottles, I don't know, um, but I would love to know if you guys know. The only thing that I'm aware of for when it comes to red wines, think about the soft, rounder shoulder of Pinot Noir, and think about the, uh, the rigid shoulder of a Bordeaux bottle. Think about how the wines are entirely different. We describe Cabernet as the king of grapes here in Napa Valley, and it's more powerful. That makes Pinot Noir the queen. Uh, looking at Bordeaux, it's taller, it's almost as it looks a little more confident. It's more masculine shaped bottle, also in a way that's designed to age for a little longer. The shape of a Cabernet bottle with a uh, sharper shoulder allows some of the sediments to trap on the uh, shoulder. As you pour the wine, it will catch that a little bit more. It's not saying some of the great Pinots cannot age, but oftentimes we are drinking Pinots at a much younger age than most Bordeaux that we're going to sell their for. Uh, but in terms of why the white wine is the way it is, is maybe it's a perception of uh, region that Alsatian bottle is another different shape which are absolutely beautiful in my mind uh, in terms of Pinot Gris, which we didn't get to showcase earlier. They're much taller, slender, and elegant. Okay. And some of these Alsatian wines actually, especially Riesling and some um, Pinot Gris, they can age fairly well for 10, 15 years. They're not gonna get sediments because they're all whites. They, they might have some cartridge crystal, but they're not gonna have tenants falling out of the solution. So what's our next wine? So our next wine is actually going to be our Napa Valley uh, Cabernet. Um, and we're kind of going to move into, um, you know, Robert did some of the talking about our study of Pinot, but we actually offer two unique uh, experiences um, or ways to experience wine here at Etude. And we also do a uh, focus of Cabernet Sauvignon where we exclusively taste uh, five Cabernets from different districts and different areas from around Napa Valley. And um, we actually source, uh, you know, we don't grow uh, any of the fruit for uh, these wines ourselves, actually, but we work with some uh, really well-regarded uh, vineyards uh, that we have some very long-standing relationships with in, in these different parts of um, the Napa Valley. And uh, we actually source fruit from Coombsville, uh, which is the newest sub-appellation of Napa. And we uh, source fruit from, um, some of the vineyards that fall on the benchlands of Napa, which are basically in areas like Oakville and St. Helena and Rutherford. And uh, our Napa Valley is actually kind of a culmination of all of those uh, in the regard that uh, we take some of the fruit from all of the vineyards and blend it together. So there's a lot of heritage and a lot of uh, kind of lineage of, of Napa in this bottle, if you will. So, you know, Charlie, you just mentioned a bunch of areas. And for a visitor coming to Napa, it's like going to Disneyland. It's like, do you go to Disneyland? Do you go to um, California Adventure? When you're coming to Napa, are you going to St. Helena? Are you going to Rutherford? Are you going to Coonsville? Are you going to Oakville? What are the different areas, different AP, AVAs of, this, of, of, of Napa Valley? Well, so Napa, you know, is really kind of a unique and diverse place on the world stage of winemaking, actually. 
Um, you know, Napa itself is, is considered overall just one American viticultural area, but it is broken into these 16 uh, smaller sub-appellations. And essentially, each one of these appellations has something that makes it different. It has its own soil type or soil types. It has its own distinctive microclimate or maybe its points of elevation, something that makes uh, it and also the wines that come from these areas different. Um, so, Ed, I heard that Napa is like 17 miles long from south to north, and the temperatures can vary from south to north by like 17 degrees or by a degree per mile. Is that right? So, yeah, it's l about 30 miles north to south, about five miles uh, east to west. Oh, no, it's a very small and well-defined area. And when we think Napa of California, we think most uh, a lot of uh, guests, a lot of visitors say, oh, most wines come from Napa. In reality, Napa is only making about 4% of the total production coming out of entire California. It's a very, very small area. There is a pretty incredible uh, geographical and climate diversity here that's unlike any other places in the world. So in fact, uh, we are here down here, the weather's nice and breezy. Uh, it's a, Beautiful, beautiful day today in Canaros, but if you go further north, I was at Bolivia earlier today, yes, it was easily 5, 10 degrees warmer. And I see Napa, I like to tell people that it's very much a geological anomaly because we have over half of the world's soil types. I think there are about 200 soil types in the entire world, and Napa has over 100 of them in this 30-mile-long, 5-mile-wide valley. So we're talking about an incredibly diverse, um, diverse spectrum of geology and, 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 and botany in this tiny, tiny area. So that's why Napa can grow everything from Pinot to Zen and everything in between because there's so much nuance from AVA to AVA. So again, this is our uh, Napa Valley Cabernet. Um, it's 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm. And, um, you know, one of the things that you're going to want to note here, uh, kind of coming off of the Pinots that we just tasted, is a Cabernet Sauvignon, especially like this, is going to have a lot more weight to it. Um, you know, one of the reasons you might think about Pinot Noir being a little bit more light-bodied, typically, is the fact that Pinot skin, uh, you know, the skin of the grape is actually very thin. It's a very uh, thin-skinned grape. And, uh, you know, that kind of leads to the problems you might have with farming it, but also to its texture and to its weight. Whereas Cabernet Sauvignon can actually be, have a skin of uh, something somewhere about three times thicker than Pinot Noir. So you get a lot more density in the wine, a lot more weight, a lot more texture uh, in a Cabernet Sauvignon like this. And I can't wait. You said 100% Cab for this wine. 100% Cab, that's true. Wow. Mmm. That's an aroma that I wish we could just capture in a candle and I would just burn it in my house all night. It's just beautiful. It's or very perfume. floral. Yeah, yeah. perfume. It's very floral. What do you get out of it? Mm. I get blackberry. I get cassis. Uh, I get black currant. Maybe even a little cocoa or chocolate. Um, and, and Charlie, uh, I think you said it earlier. Are these grapes for this Cabernet grown or sourced? So we source them. Um, we, uh, again, sourced them from some pretty overall famous vineyards uh, in Napa um, to make Cabernet Sauvignon. So uh, the areas that we actually source for them uh, uniquely fall into what are considered benchlands. And benchlands are these areas on the valley floor uh, that 
basically sit on top of an alluvial fan. An alluvial fan is a, a way that soil is uh, deposited by rain and water that washes all the sediment and material out of the hillsides and the mountains over thousands of years. And if you actually look at the way these soils are composed, it, it kind of looks like a Japanese fan. But the point of this is that these soils are very, very deep. Uh, they're pretty fertile as well, and uh, this kind of um, has the effect on the vine of making it stretch its roots very, very deep looking for water. Um, can go as far down as 25 feet even. So, and, and there's a real struggle for the vine within doing that as well. You know, a, a vine uh, that's kind of using its resources in this way, it has to prioritize what it's doing, whether it's stretching its roots further for uh, water, whether it's doing vegetative growth, or whether it's doing its fruit production. And this causes uh, you know, basically the wines that you source from vines in these areas, they really do have this unique intensity to them compared to some of the, the wines from other areas or even other areas in the valley. Just listening to you makes me feel smarter. <laughs> <laughs> there is a nice ripeness in the fruit, uh, blending Definitely. a little bit kind of the warmer parts of Napa and a little bit cooler parts of Napa as well. There's still fresh acidity. Uh, there is density but it's not thick, it's not syrupy. There's kind of elegant on top, the coating the tannin, just enough so that you can feel just a little bit of grittiness. You want to kind of have a nice warm uh, piece of steak uh, to go with this wine perhaps. I'd like a nice uh, lean steak, more like a strip with this, like a New York strip or a thick cut pork chop. It's just got so much, um, it, it, it's not, it's not an overly dense wine, but it's got a lot of great flavor and body to it, and it's really a, 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 it's really a pleaser to the palate. This is a wine that I would share with friends. I think the one thing I enjoy about uh, John's Cabernets are being 100% Cabernet. I asked him once how he made it with such soft tannin, because sometimes you'll have a Cabernet that just those tannins grab you and you can't taste the fruit. And John said, Benchland Vineyards, you will get typically softer tannins out of a Cabernet grape. And for me, that's sometimes my aversion to a Cabernet, is those tannins grab me and I don't taste the fruit. With John's Cabernet, I definitely can taste the fruit. It's not overpowered at all, the tannins. On the spectrum of Cabernets, and I've tasted some very bold, very heavy, very deep, very luscious red Cabernets, this one is on the lighter to medium side, which makes it, I think, more drinkable, uh, easier to drink. Uh, we really want to let this beautiful fruit shine through, these beautiful Benchland uh, grapes. They are flavorful, they are delicate at the same time. By too much oak, it's almost like applying too much makeup. It's gonna cover its beauty from within that uh, we really want people to see. Charlie, you poured for us a second Cabernet. Tell me what this is. The next wine that I've poured for you is actually uh, from the Coombsville uh, area of Napa. I said the last wine had a lot of vibrance and vitality, and this one, you know, in comparison, it really does have uh, a lovely concentration of flavors and a lot of depth, but it does have a little bit uh, of a greater acidity too that uh, not only helps retain some of its pigment, if you look at it, it's, this is a very deep colored Cabernet, but it also will help it through its aging process almost inevitably. And, you know, the way you can think about these wines is that they are wines that will age, you know, not just in the short term, but even for decades. So I'm looking at the color of this. It's dark, deep. Is this 100% Cab? It is also 100% Cabernet, yes. Mmm. I get some soil, 
What soil is this? Uh, mostly volcanic soil. Uh, it's interesting mm. if you take a trip out to this vineyard in this area, uh, the soil actually looks very fertile. It's very black and it has a kind of concentration to its color all on its own. Um, wow. And uh, not that that necessarily translates into this color in the wine, but again, that kind of you know higher natural acidity in the wine does kind of help to retain some of its pigment. Wow, we just tasted two Cabernets, two totally different profiles. The first one was lighter, uh, more bright fruits. This one, I think, is more darker fruits, more soily, more earthy, a more pure, what I say, even though they're both 100% Cabernet, more of a traditional Cabernet flavor. What do you think? So when, I, when we talk about Kumso area, it is cooler and it reminds me more of that Bordeaux. And a lot of you out there are probably just hearing Kumsil for the first time. We're one of the still fewer producers who are making Kumsil fruit dedicated AVA. And to me, that's one of the uh, this, uh, gems that we discovered, just like when Tony Soder discovered Caneros earlier, the year before Caneros became an official AVA. Hmm. We're in a spirit of kind of discovering adventure. We want to kind of make things still traditional. We want to find that balance, the acidity, the savory quality, these are all true Cabernet quality. While in the warmer area, these Cabernet savory, sage, rosemary, kind of black pepper, mm -hmm. almost a lot, all of quality, they almost get lost in places that's again overripe uh, or a little bit on the riper side. I shouldn't say overripe, with too much oak that kind of take away that Cabernet essence, if you will. It tastes like a Cabernet. It feels like a Cabernet, but again, there's oak to it that masks all these nuances. It's oaky, but not heavy oak. And I get some a, 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 a medium grade of chalkiness at the at the front end of this. And that chalkiness is really what makes this wine, I think, appealing, exciting for me, who's really surround myself with some pretty amazing Cabernet. But what draws me in to this one is that it is so appealing to me that having that Bordeaux-like quality in the Napa Valley region. And it's really finding that right balance and when to pick the fruit. Do you know why, you know, actually Cabernet uh, pairs really well with these kind of fattier, you know, heavier uh, cuts of meat? No, tell me. Yeah, well actually, um, they've done a little bit of research on it. And, you know, because of the meat having these kind of fat, fatty qualities, that really can cling to your palate. And the tannins, specifically in Cabernet, actually act almost as scrapers to your palate. Uh, they come along and they kind of help to remove that fat from your palate, which is why it gives you that kind of, uh, you know, that mouth-watering acidity when you're having a bite of steak and then washing it down with a, a glass of Cabernet that has this amazing depth to it. And for me, what lingers in my mouth, if I eat a good piece of meat and, and, and then follow up with a sip of, of red wine, if my mouth afterwards feels like it, there's a layer of butter in there, it's just elegance to me. Mm -hmm. I love this wine so much, and it's probably because it is more akin to a classic Bordeaux-style wine. I get some grippy tannins. I get some... Um, I don't get a ton of, of, of fruit. I mean, sure, there's some dark fruit, but I get more earth, I get more herbs, I get like eucalyptus and mint and things like that. Um, so it's not straightforward fruit forwardness that I get, 
So it kind of begs to be paired with food, and I think I love that so, so much. All of these wines are very sophisticated to me. For me, you know, wine should, uh, and especially good wine, should always kind of take you to a time and a place, and I think all of these wines can kind of do that. Mm, time, place, and as I say, time, place with friends. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Charlie, thank you so much. The Cabernet experience was delightful, and Robert, the study of Pinot was just phenomenal. It really was. You guys, uh, Etude really brings together just some great, wonderful, pure tastes, and it's so, uh, it's been a great afternoon here with you guys, so thank you very much. You're welcome. So, Ed. Yes. As mentioned before, at the start of the show, you're a certified sommelier or level three sommelier. I enjoy tasting wines with friends and we go through uh, self-torture called blind tastings in the morning on uh, Thursdays uh, with my fellow sound friends. So speaking of blind tasting, I brought a bottle of wine just for you. And it's in a brown bag, okay. so you can't see the label. I'm gonna pour it and we're all gonna sample it. I want you to be able to see if you could identify the wine. I'll give you a clue. It's my favorite varietal. I'll leave it at that. How about that? Sounds good. Okay, here we go. That's for you, Ed. And before I start, cheers to you. Cheers to hey. everybody. Bring Thank you. together a wonderful hey group of friends and uh, wine uh, enthusiasts over here. Some of us self-proclaimed professionals. <laughs> when I go, go through the wine tasting uh, momentarily, it's about going through the grid. Uh, there are different things that we're looking out for. Uh, we're looking at a nice uh, solid two ounce pour, which is something proper for uh, going through a wine tasting. We're looking at color, we're looking at assessing the smell, we're tasting it, uh, defining its texture, flavor, tannin structure, and all that. And yeah, ultimately, these are every single piece are essential uh, part of the clue that we, maybe I could deduct you, hopefully, to the right country and the right variety, if I'm lucky, the right vintage as well. And also understanding, applying certain theories. What are classical regions of grace and what are the uh, common styles of winemaking method being employed in the process. Okay, walk us through it. All right, to start off, uh, we're looking at the color. Usually I'm tilting the wines to the side, swirling the wine glass a little bit, looking at this tears uh, coming down. There is uh, evidence of tear which indicates kind of density amount of alcohol in this wine. This looking like a medium plus alcohol level wines could be a maybe just by looking at it, maybe at 14 uh, some percent. The color is dark, but there is just a little bit of transparency. Uh, I can notice there's a color purple going on besides a dark ruby core in the middle. Uh, there's no gas or sediments in there. So with sediments, it might be indicating this is an older bottle of wine of uh, five plus years. This one does not. So this looks like to me a fairly youthful wine. There's no uh, gas, which is a possible indication of kind of less um, un a wine that's not finished fermentation. This one does not. The smell of the wine is bright, it's vibrant, it's youthful. The wine is clean. There's no fault in this wine, uh, no corkiness. Uh, this wine is kind of stored properly in its uh, condition. 
you barely sniffed it and you pulled all that out of there? Um, so there are in the, there are certain signs we're looking for. I think the faults of the wines, that's something that we're trying to do on behalf of our guests. As I smell the wines, I'm kind of begin to dissect the wine of its beautiful aromatics. There is dominant blackberry quality. There's darker fruit, there's ripeness, there's juicy quality going on. Uh, blackberry, uh, dark cherry, stewed cherry, there's ripeness uh, going on. The wine feel like it's lush. There's like, I, could, I feel there's my mouth watering already right now. There's a touch of floral notes going on. Kind of dry, maybe purple flower, a little black pepper, um, kind of white pepper action going on. I would not have gotten the black pepper. Yeah. It's very nuanced, I would say. Uh, but again, so I'm just kind of deducting some of the things that I feel it's relevant. I feel like it's inspiring to me. Uh, there's a touch of oak. Again, there's a sweetness that's not more than just the fruit itself. I think vanilla and baking spice, not super pronounced. Again, I think this is a well-made wine. And then now comes the taste. All that from just smelling. Wow. <laughs> so you just spit the wine. So as we go through the wine tasting, it's absolutely important that if we're spending a whole day drinking these wines or tasting different wines in a set by overindulging alcohol, which is great, but it also kind of dulls your senses. Um, so alcohol, it helps you relax a little bit, but again, it kind of distracts me and kind of um, sidetracks me a little bit, losing a little of my focus if consuming an excessive amount. So as I'm tasting the wine, we're talking about the wine, my mouth is still kind of salivating right now for a good 30, uh, uh, 20, 30 seconds. The finish is really nice and long. There's good freshness going on in this wine. Uh, I think it's a medium plus acidity wine with really uh, nice and dry. There's no sweetness to it. Naturally, there's beautiful fruit quality going on. Good texture and good weight. Uh, it's not super syrupy, super heavy, but I will still pin this as a medium plus body wine with a medium plus uh, quality tannin. As um, the, the, the audience are tasting different wines, like, I feel like is, there, is that the biggest, the most powerful wines you ever tasted? For this case, for me, it's kind of right up there of being a more of a fuller body wine, but not the biggest. The finish is nice and long. I really enjoy the, uh, the overall quality of this wine. And now it's coming down to the more deductive reasoning. Um, so that's making a couple assessments. Uh, there's a lot of fruit going on in this wine. Usually in a new world wine, away from Europe, uh, the sun shines are a little brighter, the uh, climate conditions are really encouraging the fruit development of fruit. Um, bigger wines, I think that the fruit quality is kind of taking me to the new world region. Uh, there's nice tannin. Again, the oak is there. Uh, further indicating that this is a, um, a new world I making mean, typically employs a little bit more new oak uh, than old world region. Um, the wine is still fairly young, so I'm gonna uh, guess uh, this, the wine's probably no more than four to five years old. There's again the floral, kind of savory spice to it. I'm gonna uh, kind of pin a couple of varieties right now. It's definitely on the mm, uh, colors, on the darker side. Uh, you can barely read through. Um, uh, 
the letters uh, through this glass right now, there's uh, density. There's a little bit of transparency, so the wine is not super extracted, but again, it's still gonna fall on the kind of darker skin varieties like Cabernet, like Merlot, maybe a Syrah, um, or maybe a Syrah blend. Um, and that's the varieties I'm going with right now. And these are my initial conclusions, like what this possibly could be. And to me, what this might not be is another direction to go for it. It's, I think the color is a little darker than a Grenache or a Pinot Noir 100% variety. Uh, it could be a, maybe a blend of Grenache in there, but I don't think it's 100% Grenache. And to me, it does not appeal to me like a Pinot Noir, which we talked about earlier, is typically lighter in color. So it's a process of elimination of what the wine is not. Uh, and again, narrowing down on this uh, furthermore, if it's New World, who are these varieties being grown? Uh, Syrah or Shiraz uh, came from Australia or America. And while Bordeaux varieties can come from, if, uh, if, if they're from the New World, America, South America, uh, Australia uh, as well. Maybe South Africa, but I don't think uh, Roger's gonna go that far uh, of a curveball for me. <laughs> so, Cabern uh, so Cabernet and Syrah, um, these are kind of the two leading varieties I'm uh, gearing towards right now. It has just a little peppery, a little savory quality, which I oftentimes equate more Syrah. Uh, there's a floral nose to it, which I really enjoy. Um, so, I'm going with a Syrah route right now. And because the city is a little brighter, I think it's not the super jammy, super powerful, peppery Aussie Shiraz, but rather I'm gonna go more of a central coast area, a little further south of Napa where it's cooler. Syrah is also another beautiful poplar variety in central coast area. Uh, not necessarily Pasarobulus, but it's nice, a little hint of purple color. Also, it's a good indication of Syrah quality. Uh, so, Right now, based on the clues I have, and with a little bit of pressure from the team in front of me right now, <laughs> I'm gonna um, um, put my uh, my bet on Syrah. It's from Central Coast, California. Uh, this could be at uh, four or five years old, so I'm guessing 2014 um, from Central Coast area. Robert, Charlie, Janae, do you want to comment on the wine before we do the reveal? I'm going along with Syrah also. Um, I'm going to go a little up, and I'm going to say probably more Sonoma Coast. But it's definitely Syrah. I'm picking that up. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. I, I, I don't think it's Syrah. Ooh. I do think it's New World, and I do think it's California. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it's New World Italian. I think it might be something like a Nebbiolo or a Sangiovese from, say, Dry Creek. Um, Janae, why don't you do the reveal? Mm hmm. Oh. Columbia Winery. Wow. Way up. From Washington. <laughs> ah. And it is a Syrah. All right. So Beautiful. All, all of it. All right. I kind of knew. And what year? This is 2014. Wow. So, Ed, you did a really great job. You identified the varietal, which is the Syrah. You identified the year, and the location was off, but um, you're and right. You did it's, identify New World. It's New World. That's what I was about to say. I'm Ed is the shiz. 
And Washington is absolutely a place that's known for its Syrah as well. Central Coast Syrahs are my favorite because it's got that jammy, earthy, volcanic ash flavor to it, which is are my favorite character profiles. So great job. Thanks so much. And for the record, I did not game uh, Roger's uh, system or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Robert, thank you, Charlie, and thank you, Ed, for hosting us today at this beautiful uh, location. We're at Etude Winery. You guys did a great job. Your wines are just pure and delicious. Um, and we're so grateful that you invited us to be part of this uh, tasting experience today. Thanks for being part of Sip on This. And the pleasure's all ours. We love to meet and greet new friends and old friends, uh, re returning club members. Wherever you come from, we're here to uh, showcase the beautiful part that Napa and Sonoma has to offer in these two amazing, amazing varieties that Napa has claimed to fame. And we appreciate you and your insights so very much. Um, so thank you for being here and taking the time with us today. Our pleasure. Um, if you'd like to visit Etude, which I highly recommend you do, their address is 1250 Cuttings Wharf Road in Napa in the Carneros region. Their phone number is 707-257-5782 and you can find them online at etudewines.com. And when is the winery open for, for visitors? We open at 10 in the morning and close 5 at night. Awesome, and that is daily, so Monday through Sunday. So if you guys have a long weekend, come here and have a great time. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of uh, Sip on This, and it'll be a winery that you may have heard of but likely don't know a lot about. But for now, I'm Janae Gaither. And I'm Roger Chun. Until our next podcast, live peacefully and abundantly and deliciously. Cheers, guys. Thanks Cheers. for joining us. This was a great place. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Beautiful wines. Yum, 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 yum. That's a pretty tasty. Yeah, you like it? It is. A lot of people the black pepper, that was one of my, my indicators. You did good. Hey, it's Roger Chung from the Sip On This podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new about Napa Valley wines. Please remember to subscribe to the Sip On This podcast so you'll receive every new episode. And check us out at our website, siponthis.org, where you'll see pictures from the wineries we visited. And you could ask us questions, which we'll answer during an episode. Until the next podcast, live peacefully, productively, and deliciously. Cheers!